It has often been said that the role of the biblical prophets were to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. Comfortable. That's different. Sorry. Let's try that again. To comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. That's the role of the biblical prophets. We, as a church, want to hold that posture. We want to say, hey, look, here's God's word. And for those of you who are suffering, here's the hope that it has for you. And for those of us who are comfortable in a, a, a position that's not lined up with God's word, we kind of want to shake that up a little bit. We don't, that's, that's not a safe place. We want to point that out to you. And if that upsets you, that's, we're okay with that. And... While we do that, we understand we want to create space for us to wrestle. Space to wrestle as we afflict the comfortable. So this is a tool that I, is in my mind every week as I come up and preach. I just want to share it with you as, hey, here, as I preach, this is a grid that I think through that shapes what I do. And it'll be important in just a second. You'll see why we're talking about this. This is called the Angles Scale. Uh, this is from a professor at Wheaton College called Jim Angle. Uh, and this is a, a scale that's used when we think about teaching, when we think about being persuasive. So it's from negative eight to positive eight because, you know, he works in academia. You got to be original. So negative eight to positive eight. And so negative eight, if you're a negative eight on any subject, you're just unaware, right? You just didn't know that was a thing. And if you're a positive eight on the subject, you are like an evangelist for that subject. You are traveling at your own expense to tell people all about this. I was getting a haircut once, and there was a long wait at this barber shop. And I finally get in my, my chair, and the whole time I had been waiting, and then the whole time I sat in my chair, this one dude was telling his barber all about his diet. All right, and it was a new diet. He was very excited about it. And the barber, and no one else at the barber shop, cared. That did not stop this young man from telling us all about ketosis and all that. And it's like, look, uh, he would have been a positive eight on the angle scale. He's like an evangelist. He's all excited about it. I've been a negative eight. I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. All right? So people, why am I sharing this? People don't move normally from negative eight to positive eight like that. All right? When they do, we call that a miracle. Okay? People move in steps. All right? When we, maybe we don't know this topic and someone introduces a new idea to us, we, we're a little hostile to it. That's not, don't think that's ne necessarily negative. We're like, I, I don't like that. That's kind of weird. I don't get it. Uh, no, here's, what are your facts? Where's your sources? Where'd you read that? Right? And then maybe you go to semi-hostile and you're curious. And then zero, you're just convinced. You're like, yeah, I, I, I get that. You're not necessarily moved in the positive yet. You're just like, okay, I agree. Then you move to, okay, I, hey, I'm new. I'm trying to get about, learn about this. You're learning. You're really growing. And then you're teaching about this thing. All right, that's how I think about teaching God's word. Is I'm not trying to move everybody necessarily from totally unaware to teaching overnight. All right, we think there's grace in, in this whole process. And so if somebody moves from, I didn't know that was a thing, to Craig, I don't like what you're saying. I didn't like that at all. That's positive, right? That's movement. I don't like that movement necessarily. It doesn't always feel great. I'm like, God, ah, I wish, okay. This can be surprising sometimes, but that's movement and that's good. We want to be a place where we're saying, here's what God's word says. Here's what we believe it says. We think that's really clear. 
And wherever you are on this scale, we want to create space for you to wrestle with these things as, again, we're trying to move in line with God's Word. We're not trying to be like, hey, just stay in that wrestling place forever. It's totally fine. We're trying to say, no, no, but, but there's space and there's grace as we wrestle. This morning, we're going to talk about something that, wow, everybody's been wrestling with for a while. All right? I'm not going to pretend that I have the silver bullet that as we talk about this, everyone's going to be like, man, Whew, January, what's today? Well, I should know. It's New, it's New Year. January 22nd, 2023, where were you? 600 Sylvie Street, where the whole conversation about social justice, just the plane landed, bro. We're all on the same page. Everybody came together. Wow. All right? I'm going to say, here's what I think God's Word is teaching. I think it's pretty clear, right? This is the direction I think God's Word goes in, all right? This is, this is where I think God's Word leads us. And if you're like, well, I didn't know. I just didn't know. There's a lot of space to get from negative eight to positive eight. Lots of space. And we do that in steps. So there's a, this is why I'm always going to be for big church. There's a great grace in you being able to be anonymous right now. You don't have to agree with me. You can be sitting in your chair just like, uh -huh, this is total garbage. I just have to sit here. But if we're in my house and there's 10 of us, it gets a little weird, right? You're like, oh, I hate this. This is awkward. All right? I think there's a lot of grace in big church to wrestle with these things. So we're going to be all throughout the Bible today. So we don't have one passage that we're gonna, we normally read and shoot off from. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray right now. And what I'm going to pray for is two things. One, that we would have an openness to God's leading this morning. We want to be a spirit-led church. Oh my goodness, I do believe the spirit moves and leads people in the church. We want to experience that this morning. Secondly, I want to just, I just want to say this out of the gate. I do not at all want anyone to hear me saying this and feel that I'm trying to motivate you with guilt and shame. So many times when it comes to issues of justice, I hear talks where people are motivating me, the listener, through guilt and shame. How could you? Don't you know you? All right. I'm a firm believer, a very firm believer, and that is not how the Bible motivates us. That is not how God motivates his children. Romans 2 says this, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And I hope what you experience this morning is the kindness of God as we think about the issue of justice. Some of the most legalistic, pharisaical people in the world are like just these social justice warriors. I mean, it's just like, I'm sorry. I didn't know I'm the, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know that was a thing 30 seconds ago and I, everything's wrong with me and I'm sorry. Want to avoid that posture this morning while not at the same time minimizing God's word. We want to say, hey, here's what God's word is. Here's what God's word says. We want to head in that direction, and there's grace. So that's what we're praying for, the Spirit's leading, and that you would experience God's kindness this morning, and you'll see that that kindness makes us people of justice. The kindness of God will make us people of justice. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into God's word. Father in heaven, oh, Lord, even just this morning, we feel that the world is not the way it should be. Yeah, we feel the pain of sin, the pain of 
injustice. Father, nobody deserves to be mowed down. That's unjust, and we hate it, God. And we confess. We confess there's injustice in our own lives. God, we confess that there are things that we've turned blind eyes to, and when we talk about those things, it can be very difficult to look at them because of shame. So God, we pray your spirit would just be loosed to lead us this morning. God, uh, make us a spirit-led church. God, we're your spirit, and we are just so in tune with his leading. God, that we follow you wherever you go, even if it, it comes at great cost to us. And God, we pray, too, as we do that, that we would be experiencing your kindness. God, you are attentive to our needs. You see us. You're present with us. And God, I pray that that would be the experience of everyone listening and my own experience this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Katie Dudgeon. Katie Dudgeon is a new friend. She's a leader in our denomination. Uh, she works with both Reach Global, which is like the missionary arm of our denomination, and she also is a leader on the West Coast for our denomination. Uh, Katie Dudgeon used to be a missionary in Berlin. She came back from Berlin, uh, and she had some thoughts. While she was in Berlin, she noticed that uh, the church doesn't have a very big footprint in Berlin. Berlin is very post-Christian, very secular. And so what she noticed happening in Berlin was that the, this void left by the church was filled with other things. Right? So that what, what, do we, what do we look to for meaning in our life? What do we look to for significance? What's that thing that we can belong to? And Katie noticed that what it is and it becomes for a lot of people is what she calls political idolatry. What do we look to for meaning? What's going to bring hope to the world? What's going to change things? Politics. Political leaders become these Messiah-like figures who, they're, man, they're just going to set everything right. So she starts noticing this in Berlin, and then she moves back to the United States during the pandemic. And she's like, this is just like that. Oh my goodness. As America gets more and more secular, as America becomes more and more post-Christian, as the church seems to be having less and less influence, less and less say, people are looking for meaning, looking for things to belong to, and a lot of folks hang their hook on politics. Good night. That's not controversial. I mean, that, like, like, there's going to be some controversial things to say today. That is not one of them. And part of the reason that people have done this is because I feel the church in America, we've done an excellent job, an excellent job teaching people about their own individual spiritual formation. How can you grow as a Christian? How can you cultivate a life of hearing God's word, of prayer? We've done an excellent job of teaching about individual formation. We've not done an excellent job about thinking about groups about social formation, about cultural formation, about how we are to be in the world. And as a result, we've just left things up to chance. And when you leave things up to chance, well, people step in. And so there's a lot of cultural formation talk that we hear and that we've gathered from many voices. 
We spend, we spend in this room about an hour and 20 minutes together once a week, all right? How much more time do you spend with your favorite podcast, with your favorite news app, with your, on social media? Do you really think that this hour and a half we spend together is going to fill in the what do they say? The average American spends about 8 to 12 hours in front of their phone. That's a lot of formation. Like that one and a half hour, is that really competing? There's a lot of our life that we're opening up to formation for many other voices. And the problem is, there's a ton of confusion when it comes to those other voices, what they're saying. Our culture cannot agree on a definition of justice. When it comes to, hey, let's pursue justice, most people agree, right? Like, whether or not it's the, the right or the left. So on the right, they're like, you know what's wrong with, like, you know, poor, poor folks? It's, it's the breakdown of family. And on the left, like, you know what's wrong with, with poverty in America? It's the system that's designed to, to it's just designed to injustice and it's breaking people apart. So we've got the breakdown of the family camp here, and then we've got the, the system is wrong here. And you know what no one is saying? You know whose fault it is? The kids. Come on, kids. You got to change this. Pull yourself together. Right? What? No, no, no. I believe that while there is, it's very difficult to find a, a definition of justice, there are aspects of each side where we're pursuing justice. We're just not even talking to each other. So a professor at Harvard, his name is Michael Sandel, he, he named this actually. He said there's actually a lot of confusion about how we conduct ourselves when it comes to justice. Because you hear about three definitions of justice and social justice in the world today. One is libertarian social justice. Libertarian social justice says, hey, equal opportunity only. All right? We just need to make sure everybody's got the equal opportunity. That's justice. All right? Distributive social justice is all about redistributing assets. Take from these folks, give to that folks, create equality. Virtue social justice talks about giving people what they deserve, right? A meritocracy, giving folks what they deserve. Would it surprise you to learn that the Bible has a much more comprehensive view of justice? The Bible has a much more comprehensive vision for human flourishing and social justice. Would it also surprise you that the people of God are called to be a people of justice. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, one of the primary callings that God has for your life is to have a heart that pursues social justice. To have a heart that creates justice in the world. A comprehensive view of justice and a heart that is bringing justice to society. See, we're about, like, the biblical vision of justice is about getting to the root causes of injustice. The root causes. When we start talking about getting to the root causes of injustice, woo, things get complicated, right? I was in seminary, and I was in all these social justice initiatives. I went to this symposium at my seminary where they started talking about how complicated justice really is. And one of the things they said, I remember just feeling paralyzed by it. A speaker gets up, and it's like, stop buying fair trade coffee. I'm like, why? 
It's terrible. I was like, what? Like, no, I thought, it was, I thought the other coffee was bad, so we got to start buying fair trade. And then I did my own research, and there's all these articles. Fair trade is an unjust movement that serves the rich. The narrowness of the system favors Latin America over Africa and Asia, beyond the reach of many developing countries. And it's like, ah, I was just trying to help, and now I, by trying to help, I ended up favoring the, oh, no, I, and we can get paralyzed. Furthermore, we talk about political idolatry. That's another thing that complicates us. When we start talking about this, our political antennas shoot up. What's being said here? What tribe am I being invited to join? There are aspects of the Christian faith that are going to sound very conservative. And there are aspects of the Christian faith that are going to sound very progressive. All right? And if your category for thinking about the Christian faith is these two, which one of these two buckets do I put everything in the universe in? That's just a very small way to live. Like the Bible blows your categories. If you don't have a Jesus that blows your categories, I don't know if you have the Jesus of the New Testament. I mean, he challenged everybody. All right? There is no safe place to hide with Jesus. All right? There is no safe, okay, I'm in this tribe. This tribe is perfect. We're good to go. Jesus blows through all those categories. So this morning, we're going to look at why we want to pursue justice. Why we're invited to be uh, 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 participants with what God is doing through justice. What that looks like. Because look, we all live in societies. This is a social part of social justice. We all, you know, there's the place of education, right? I mean, we live in a university town. There's the marketplace. There's government, arts and entertainment, family, media, sports, nonprofits. We have individualized our faith so much so. We're like, well, I'm doing fine. I, I read my Bible. I pray. All this other stuff is not my problem. Scripture says, are you open to another perspective on that? Are you open to another perspective that it's not just about our own individual formation. That the individualism of the West, while it did create many beautiful things, can also be a, a twist on God's plan for human flourishing. God is creating a people, not millions of groups of persons. A people, a collective. And will we treat each other in truly human ways? The Torah the law has many laws that are about how we relate to God. It has an equal number of laws about how we treat each other. And we really do want to get to the root cause. Not just saying, I'm, I'm not doing that. Huh. I mean, they're doing that, but I'm not doing that. I mean, that's not my problem. There are things that we have to say, I will own this. I may not have done anything with it, but I'm in a society, and this becomes my responsibility. So we're going to get four reasons, four invitations of what God might be inviting us into. Because remember, we're talking about, we've been talking about postures and practices in this whole series. We're saying, we're not, hey, let's just copy the practices of past generations and we'll see renewal. No, but if we think, hey, let's, let's copy the postures of past generations. How do these people hold themselves before God? So we've talked about three so far, and this is the fourth one. Here's purpose one was week one. We talked about we want to be people who joyfully listen to God's word. 
that we orient our life around Scripture, that we hear God speaking to us through His Word, and it's a joy. We connect with Him. It's relational. Posture number two, that we attach to God through prayer. If you are a Christian, you are a what of the Holy Spirit? It starts with a T, ends with temple. Temple. Okay. God is not a silent roommate in that temple. His spirit stirs and leads and talks and moves. How do we attach to God through prayer? Last week we talked about hospitality toward unbelievers. We really do believe God wants to bless the world. So we want to have the posture where we're hospitable toward unbelieving friends, loved ones. Posture number four today, we want to identify with and care for the powerless. We think a posture that will create justice in the world is identifying with and caring for the powerless. Four reasons why we do that. Reason number one, God identifies with and cares for the powerless. God identifies with and cares for the powerless. I've had the privilege of traveling around speaking a little bit. And when I travel around speak, I introduce myself in certain ways. Hey, I'm Craig, pastor at Compass Church. I'm Amy's boyfriend. We're married too, don't worry. Uh, and, and I'm Jet Bowie and Shepherd's dad. Why am I introducing myself that way? Well, there's things that I want you to know about me. That, that here's who I am. Here's what I do. Right? How does God introduce himself? How does he identify himself? Listen to Psalm 68.5. He's a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows. Listen to this. This is both negative and positive. First, the, the negative. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Do you hear how deeply God's identifying with the poor? If you pick on them, you're picking on me. Deep, close identity with the poor. Proverbs 14, 31. But Proverbs 19, 17 says that positively. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. God identifies with and cares for the powerless. When we think about those three views of justice, which one are we supposed to take? Which is the right one? The Bible has a comprehensive view of justice. This is, hey, we are to be people who primarily identify with and care for the powerless. That's what we are invited to do, right? And you're like, well, I think I should give to the poor, but only if I give to the poor. I don't, I don't want to be compelled to give to the poor, right? That's, that's not right. Right? We should, you shouldn't compel me to give to the poor. Only if I give to the poor, it's because I want to give to the poor. Right? The Bible actually has a different perspective on that. Leviticus 19. There's a law. It's called a gleaning law. A gleaning law is when you have a field, when you own a field, and you're reaping the harvest from it, don't take everything on that field. Leave what's on the edges for the widows, orphans, and immigrants. Right? Deuteronomy 15 says this, if someone in your neighborhood finds themselves poor, give to them. The Bible would say that if you're stingy, you're not just not generous, you're unjust. There's just a normal baseline of like what it means to be a follower of God. A Christian is we, we give to the poor. We're generous. Right? And, and that's not like going above and beyond. That's not just for a select few of Christians, right? Micah 6.8, it's a very popular verse. I think every time I go into like Christian home decor stores, there's like a, it's like painted somewhere. What does God require of you? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. What's the first one? What is required of you? To do justice. 
In Leviticus, when they're talking about uh, the word justice, mishpat, when they're describing uh, the priest, the Levitical priest couldn't work from the land. So they didn't have any way to feed themselves. So the people were called to tithe so that they could give the priests a mishpat, a justice. Justice is a form of human rights. Human rights is a biblical idea. Right? This would have been radical in the ancient Near East. God identifying with the poor? That would have been totally nuts. God identified with the king. Right? Do you know what kings were called in the ancient Near East? The son of God. Pharaoh was, to believe, was believed to have been God's offspring. God's saying, that's not who I identify with. I identify with the poor. Think about Christmas. We just celebrated Christmas, right? Who, what socioeconomic class does Jesus come into? The poor. He's born in a manger, in a stable, humble and lowly Savior. He enters the world not in a palace, but in a manger as poor. God deeply identifies with the poor. And the question for us is, if we love God, do we love who he loves? If we love, if I say, if I say, I love you, God, God says, well, I love this. Yeah, that's not for me. No, thank you. It's like, what does that say about our love for God? Right, if God is saying, this is who I am. This is how I identify. I am. I'm not saying I would like to be. It'd be aspirational. I'm saying I am a father to the fathers. I am. I am. I identify the poor. If you pick on the poor, you're picking on me. And I'm like, mm, that's just not for me. I don't think I need that. The question becomes, like, are we really loving the God of Scripture? Because that's who he is and that's how he identifies this is why I think social justice can get the root cause of so many of our problems. Because I really believe that so, the problems that we're experiencing, sin, the problems are relational. And we see God is stepping in to fix these problems as a relational God. So he identifies with and cares for the powerless, and he's calling us to identify with and care for the powerless. We're called to do that. Last week, we spent a little bit of time in Genesis 12, talking about how God really does want to bless the world. God said that, hey, I'm going to, five times in Genesis 12, he said, I'm going to be a blessing to the world. We really think God wants to bless our neighbors, right? Yep, thank you. God really does want to bless the world. He really does want to bless our neighbors. How's he going to do that? Through justice. Watch this. This is Genesis 18. God is expounding further on what he meant when he said he was going to bless Abraham. Genesis 18, 17. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Do you hear that? The vulnerability of God, just by the way. He's like, hey, I'm going to be transparent with Abraham. I'm going to just say, this is what I'm up to. What's he up to? 18, 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Why? For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him. To do what? To keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. That Those two words, right and just, that God wants Abraham to do what is right and just, that's shorthand for everything that's required in the Old Testament law. Justice. Right? God is saying, I want Abraham to be a person of justice. Those two words are two Hebrew words, tzedek and mishpat. 
And when you bring them together, it talks about the type of people we're supposed to be. Because look, Abraham, it doesn't say, I'm going to make him a great guy. He's just going to be the nicest neighbor you've ever met. No, he's going to make him a nation, a people, a one of these, a society with education, marketplace, government. He's, and we want to serve God in those places. Don't leave your faith here. Take it with you into these places. What does that look like? Sadek and Mishpat. Social justice. Now again, I just want to be very clear. The word social justice is moving. It's not just like, well, hey, I'm, I'm following God. Me and God are okay. I don't care what everyone else around me is doing. Me and God's like, no, it's about social. We live in a society. We want to create justice. We want to get at the root causes of what's going on. This is complicated. We've already talked about that, right? With fair trade coffee. It's also complicated because lots of people use the word social justice to mean lots of things. Some of you might be having a heart attack right now. Like, oh my gosh, my pastor is a Marxist. (laughs) This is it. This is it. I am not a Marxist. I read, what's it called? A Communist Manifesto. I read it and I was like, this is not for me. This is not for me, okay? So this is, if you have that concern of like, oh my gosh, like what if he comes in with a mustache next week? <laughs> I can't grow a mustache. Just ask Luke Robb. I tried it once. He let me know his thoughts on that. But not all social justice is biblical, okay? Just like the word love, right? People love a lot of things, all right? Does that mean we throw away the word love? Like love is being misused. Never use it again. No. Just because people play fast and loose with words, we need to hold on to these words. We are trying to create as a, a people, a group of us, where the ways of Yahweh are shaping us and where we're treating others in truly human ways, where we're, we ourselves are identifying for and caring for the powerless. So not all social justice is biblical, but all biblical justice is social. It's all social. How we treat each other. Are we treating each other in truly human ways? And one of the beauties about social justice is this. Social justice creates safety in a chaotic world. Social justice is both a safe harbor where we can run to. We know God is good. When God calls something good, it is good. It creates safety in a chaotic world. Look with me. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 89. Psalm chapter 89. We're going to read verses 9 to 15. But here's what Psalm 89 is describing. In the ancient Near East, the sea was just a picture of chaos. Right? The sea was unpredictable. And and people believed there were monsters down there. If you try to sail your boat across the sea, a monster might get you if you don't sacrifice to the gods. The sea represented chaos. The Bible picks up on that imagery and talks about a Genesis 3 world as an ocean, as a sea. It's chaotic. There's sea monsters. Innocent people die. It's off sin. When sin enters the world, it, the sea monster. And one of the most famous sea monsters in the Bible, there's about five of them. One of them is this person called Rahav. And in our passage we look at, God kills Rahav. He kills Rahav. And then what does he do? He sets up his throne over the graveside. And the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. It's a beautiful word picture we're about to read. There's a chaotic world in there. There's unjust. There's injustice in the world. And God is trying to bring renewal from his throne. 
Starting with me in verse 8. Who's like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and, are, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. When chaos happens, when sin knocks on our front door, there's only one person who's able to answer that. You crush Rahav like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours. The earth also. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. And here we go. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Kings ruled from their throne. God rules from a place of righteousness and justice. God is seeking to bless the world so that we will treat each other in truly human ways. God is for our flourishing. Like, but it's a bad world. Didn't, you, didn't we just pray for this mass shooting? How is God reigning when there's mass shooting? That's the sea monster. See, it's so easy to mix God and the sea monster. Like, God, it's a bad world. What are you doing about that? God is saying, I'm going to kill the sea monster. And I'm going to end that sea monster's place. In the place of this chaotic ocean, it's going to be a people who are flourishing. I'm putting my throne where that sea monster once was, and the foundation of my throne is goodness. That's justice. That's just, that's our God. Look, the world is not a safe place. There are dangerous people. And the invitation is to come to a God who doesn't turn away from the danger. He's saying, I'll take care of it with my right arm. God hates injustice. If you're not a Christian and you didn't know that, like, I just have good news for you. Like, those, those justice, like, desires and inklings you have are, I believe, put there from God. That's because you're in the image of God. And our God is a just God. He loves human rights. He loves justice. And in his kingdom is justice. But that's not all that's in his kingdom. Look at, the, look at the second half of this verse. Love and faithfulness go before you. Love and faithfulness literally are in front of your face. So think about this. He's sitting on a throne and the foundation of that throne is justice. But what's in front of his face? Love and faithfulness. The words, the two words that are used just righteousness and justice earlier, they're used hundreds of times together. But a word pair that's used even more times together is that second half, love and faithfulness. And it describes God's commitment to us. Like it's not, he's not just loving and he's faithful. He's saying, I'm here to take care of your needs. I'm attuned to who you are. Israel, you're going to fail, but I'm going to love you and be faithful. That word pair is put together hundreds of times. And the way we describe it around here is God's attachment love. God's attachment love. He's saying, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. And when I'm loving you, it creates justice. See, we truly believe that God's love creates justice in the world. Not our energy, not our effort. Justice flows out of God's love. Why does God care for the powerless? 
You know, the Bible talks a lot about bribes. There's a ton of verses about bribes. Don't give a bribe. Don't offer a bribe. Bribes are terrible. It's bad news bears if you bribe. Why is that? Why is God so against political contributions? Ooh. Because the poor can't make a bribe. They don't have a voice. God's like, I, 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 I identify with I care for the powerless. I'm here to care and move toward you. Does that sound like something? While we were weak, while we were helpless, Christ died for us. God tells Israel as they're coming out of slavery, he says this to them. He says, remember the sojourner, the alien, the widow, the orphan. Why? Because you were once slaves who didn't have anything. Why do we care about this? Because it's so connected to God's heart and that's how he loved us. That's how he loved on us. It's just, it, it flows out of his character. That, our story is a story of while we were yet sinners, while we were powerless, the truly powerful one moved toward us in love and care. Justice is relational. And we really believe that around here, that justice is deeply relational. So we have an opportunity that we're inviting every single member of our church to participate in. And the goal is to build relationships. Loaves and Fishes is a ministry that Compass Church has been participating in for years. And on the third Friday of every month, which Friday? Third Friday of every month, Compass Church owns, there's a, there's a, a food, it's, a, like a, it's basically a soup kitchen downtown where anybody who's hungry can get a meal. Now, Again, there's complicated things with justice. We want to step into that space, though, and say, we're going to use that space to create relationships. So if everybody at Compass says, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to one time this year serve at Loaves and Fishes. I'm going to just say, hey, I go to Compass. What does it mean to go to Compass? Well, I want to have a posture where I identify with and care for the powerless. That involves relationships. Right? It's hard to identify with and care for people. You have no idea who they are. Right? And it's very easy in the rhythms of our life that we just spend time with people who are like us. People who live in our neighborhood. People who go to our church. So we want to we wanna say, hey, let's put our bodies in spaces where we're more likely to meet people of a very diverse background. And the goal is justice and relationships. So we're going to do this. We're going to participate in, hey, serving at Loaves and Fishes. Then afterwards, there will be leaders present, and we're going to process the experience together. Say, hey, who did you meet tonight? What are you feeling? What did you notice? What's different about you? Because we want, we, the goal is relationships. We don't want to just say, hey, let's just throw money at problems. Right? I really firmly believe that like, throwing money at problems, if that worked, the world would be a wildly different place. Right, do you know, do you know, can we just say for a second, social justice issues are very complicated. Do you know no mayor, no mayor of a major U.S. city has ever become president? Do you, do you know why? Because it's very complicated. We have all these ideals and then we step out to govern and we're like, ugh. The ideals and reality, that's hard. So we want to own that. Like, hey, look. I'm not pretending to have any answers, right? There's going to be people who have wild, like when we try to get to the root causes, they're going to be like, it's this. And there's going to be people in the church who are like, it's this. I'm so glad we're having the conversation. 
And we're going to be people who move toward justice because we really do believe that fundamentally it's a relational challenge. That we've been separated from God and we're separated from each other. We're made for God, we're made for each other. So we're just going to step in relationally. And we think if we start loving people, that'll probably change the way we treat them. Because we really do believe that God's attachment love for us creates justice. When we're loved by someone, we can step out into spaces we normally wouldn't because we know that it's safe because they love us. That's what we're saying. We want to step out into relationship. So the invitation this morning is to say, hey, we're all going to take, we're all going to, I'm going to, all the pastors, all the staff, we're going to own everybody has one time where they're serving this year. All right, that, you just have to miss one basically $5 movie at Walmart that's on Netflix, right? They're not good movies. You're not, your life will be fine if you miss a Netflix night. One night to just spend building a relationship with someone you don't know. Serve them food. Eat together with them. We want to cultivate relationships because we think relationships are what's going to lead to justice. We care for the powerless because when we were powerless, we received care. And in just a moment, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna experience, we're gonna experience a memorial of that care. It's called communion. In communion, we are remembering while we were powerless, a truly powerful one cared for us. And so I don't know where you are on the angle scale. I don't know if you're unaware and now you're hostile. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you're just like, we got to go, let's go, come on. That wasn't hard enough. We got to go, we got to go faster. I don't know where you are on the angle scale. But I want you to invite Jesus to wherever you are this morning as we take communion. Hey God, I don't like this. I'm wrestling with this. Will your spirit lead me? Hey God, oh man, I feel like I just got guilted and shamed into caring for the poor. God, will you help me see your kindness in this? That's the invitation as we take communion this morning, is to invite Jesus into this space. If we really are going to be people of justice, it's not going to work by our willpower. Like, I'm going to try really hard to be a person of justice. It's not going to work. It'll last for about two weeks. We'll start a lot of initiatives. They don't get finished, and y'all will be frustrated. But if we say, hey, look, God, I want you to, I'm going to just go where you're leading. We really think that... The Spirit always leads in the direction of justice. So we're going to take communion. There are four tables around this sanctuary. Two in the back have gluten-free options. So if you have a gluten intolerance, the two in the back are for you. Um, and what we ask that if you're not a Christian this morning, just watch. Don't participate. We're really glad you're here. This is for people who trusted Jesus. Uh, this is an invitation for us to dwell deeply with him. And the question that we're going to be asking as we do that is, God, who are you putting on my heart? Who's the powerless in my life? You're powerless and your neighbor's powerless might be different. Who's God putting on your heart to care for? And what does it look like to take steps following God's spirit toward them? I'm going to pray and then you can, at, at, a, at your leisure, as I, after I pray, head out to the, the aisles, to the tables, come back. We'll spend a couple minutes just praying, asking for God's leading, and then we'll continue singing. So let's pray, asking for his leading in this time. God, we began this message by asking for your spirit to lead and that we'd experience your kindness. That's still our prayer, Lord. God, we want to go where you are. 
We believe in your presence is love and faithfulness. So God, lead us there. God, help us to wrestle with your word that you identify with and care for the powerless. God, I pray that we would be people who love what you love. So God, I pray as we we remember your son's sacrifice for us, I pray that our, our affections would be stirred, our loves would be moved to the God who loved us when we were powerless. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.